we start with the federal government's plan to fight inflation. Inflation running at a 30-year high right now, 6.8% could go even higher. What a fantastic panel we have standing by for you on this. Have a listen to Federal Finance Minister Christia Freeland here announcing the government's plan here to make life more affordable for Canadians. Have a listen. Our plan will help tackle inflation and make life more affordable for Canadians. I'm confident that our plan is the right one. But I do not underestimate the economic difficulties, and, frankly, the uncertainty of the months to come. The plan includes $8.9 billion in government spending and relief measures to help Canadians feeling the pain of inflation. Let's discuss it now. We've got a terrific panel for you. Randeep Sarai, Liberal MP, Surrey Centre. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Randeep, thank you for coming on. Uh, always a pleasure, Mike. Uh, always good to be on your show. It's it's great to have you again. Dan Albus, Conservative MP for the Central Okanagan. Dan, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here with you and Randeep. All right, gentlemen, thank you to both of you for being here. Randeep Sarai, let me go to you first. The opposition Conservatives are saying that government spending is the problem here for in inflation, not the solution. How is this going to help? Well, first of all, uh, look, we were there for Canadians when they needed it most. We respect the Bank of Canada. We don't call for its uh, dismissal uh, or removing it. Uh, Inflation has been uh, exacerbated by supply chain issues resulting from COVID. Uh, It's a global phenomenon. We are kind of in the middle of it. If we look at internationally, the UK, the US, uh, uh, most of the G7 countries have a much higher inflation rate than us. Uh, We are dealing with it uh, with measures that help those that are most needy uh, to get it first, whether it's enhancing the Canada work benefit, uh, helping uh, early childhood, uh, giving uh, benchmarking uh, old age security and uh, uh, GIS and other uh, pensions with uh, indexed uh, uh, to the rate of inflation and giving a, a one-time uh, uh, housing affordability payment for those that are much needed of uh, $500. So okay. we're, doing, we're doing these things and I think their uh, opposition and their answers are, are really not clear other than just stating okay. that we're going to fire the uh, Bank of Canada uh, governor. Conservative MP Dan Albus, your thoughts? Well, first of all, the issue of the cost of living crisis that the the government and all Canadians find themselves in is in part by the government's own making. Look, Doug Porter has said, he's the chief economist of the Bank of Montreal, fiscal policy has every bit as much a role to play in dampening inflation as does monetary policy. And fiscal policy should definitely not get a pass in the inflation uh, fight. What the, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister announced in Toronto last week is old uh, new spending, so to speak, Mike. It actually oh. adds to the inflationary fire. She doesn't have a plan to fight inflation. She has a Prime Minister that likes to fuel it. Okay, let me play another clip here for you from the Finance Minister and get your thoughts. So here's Christia Freeland outs- outlining some of these government spending measures and how she believes it will actually help fight inflation. Christia Freeland here. Immigration, housing, skills, and child care are quite clearly social policies, but they're economic policies too. This set of measures will help drive our continued economic growth in a way 
that fights inflation. Randip Sarai, how does more government spending help inflation or reduce inflation? A lot of people are struggling with that. Well, look, a lot of it is uh, where where do we need it? We have a uh, an aging population. We have a high amount of people retiring. We have a very, very low unemployment rate, which is causing labor shortages around the world. We have a good recipe for that, which is uh, bringing the right type of immigration uh, to Canada faster. We're spending money on that. Uh, we're reducing a lot of the supply chain issues by spending money in the, into those corridors, into those necess- necessary uh, ports and trains and, and uh, gridlock areas so that we can su- free up some supply chain issues. We're investing in some of the uh, critical minerals that are needed to invest in our industry here in Canada. And we're, we're also giving money to those that need it most, those that are feeling the pinch the most. Uh, when we know when it's infl- inflation, it's a very regressive uh, uh, measure. It affects okay. the poor a lot harder uh, and when their grocery bill goes higher. Uh, than it does to those that are rich. And that's why we're there for those that need it the most. Dan Albus, your thoughts? Everything Randeep said is going to cost more money or it's going to take time. Nothing that Christia Freeland announced last week uh, will help Canadians that are feeling the pinch today. Conservatives have been calling for months for a cut to the GST on uh, gasoline prices. That will help the economy as well as consumers because inflation is caused, one of the key inputs is gasoline. And look, it's not just conservatives. Scotiabank did a report yesterday and they say, and I quote, it is fair to say that fiscal policy authorities in Canada are doing nothing of any significance to slow inflation at the moment. Lower government spending on goods and services could help lower inflation. So they need to start cutting discretionary spending. They need to start giving Canadians a cut at the pumps. When Alberta did this, uh, University of Calgary economist Trevor Tome said that it actually reduced Alberta's inflation rate compared to the rest of the country. Randeep may be sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. These spend-DP liberals have never seen a problem they couldn't spend a way out of, but they can't on this one, Mike. Randeep Sarai. Uh, Look, uh, no economist has said to reduce actually gas taxes. No economist has said by reducing taxes on gas that your your inflation is going to go down and you're going to have savings. Uh, Don Alba said uh, uh, the measures are, aren't going to come in time. Let me just tell you, the Enhanced Canada Workers Benefit, which is going to give up to $2,400 per couple, is going to be on your tax returns this year. So many of them already have received that or are receiving that. Uh, early childhood learning this year, we've already seen a reduction uh, of 50%. It's going to help up to 6000 dollars per families in British Columbia. Uh, old age security, we're going to get an increase in July 1st, uh, 10% an increase for those that are 75 and up. That's $766, a lot more than discounting just a little bit on gas. Uh, we're getting a one-time payment also uh, coming up uh, uh, July 1st, I believe, on a housing affordability for those that are renting and low incomes. And then by the end of the year, you'll get dental care for those that are 18 and under and earning less than 90000 Uh Furthermore, those that are on a way as guaranteed income, Canada Child Benefit, GST Rebate, Canada Pension Fund, they're... Uh, we have indexed their uh, growth of their inflations and their pension programs to the rate of inflation. So they'll get the support they need, okay. which wasn't the case under the Conservatives prior. Dan, Dan Albus, it's a long list of items. Your response? So first of all, Trevor Tome is an economist at the University of Calgary who has done the work and has actually say, saw that when Alberta cut its gas taxes, it actually reduced their inflation versus the rest of Canada. And Stephen Gordon is a, uni- a University of Laval economist who said... Adding more spending at this time will put fuel on the inflationary fire. But look, these spendy P liberals don't 
won't or can't understand that their love for big spending is fueling inflation and hurting Canadians. They need to start getting serious and listening uh, to other voices than just them, their own echo chamber. Economists okay. are saying that if we want to help Canadians who are struggling right now, Mike, we need to cut inflation. By doing that, you can give a, a break at the pumps. You can stop pumping more money into the economy. But these guys just don't know any other setting than spend. Here's Finance Minister Christian Freeland on the precise point you're describing ra- about raising the carbon tax even despite inflation. Here's, here's Freeland speaking on that. I spoke to you earlier about our price on pollution. That's a very powerful market-based mechanism. It's going up every single year, and we increased it this year even in the face of higher inflation. Okay, even in the face of higher inflation, increasing the carbon tax. Randy Sarai, how does that help people through this inflation crisis? Look, it all goes right back to you. Uh, those that, uh, whether it's in British Columbia, where it goes back to getting more electrified cars, where it went from you know 0% to 10% to now 13% of all cars being sold in British Columbia are electric. So those that are making the transition are actually doing getting a lot of the savings. So it's pushing that transition to be much quicker. In places like Ontario and others, they're getting actually a check back per family, which is actually more than the amount that they're paying for the carbon price because they get it back from the industrial polluters as well. Uh, so it's actually uh, it's a revenue neutral. It goes right back to the to the taxpayer. Uh, so it does not right. contribute to inflation. If anything, it actually helps. And all that, I've heard from the conservatives what? just says not to tax spend. All I hear from their potential leaders is they're going to have cryptocurrency as a methodology to uh, resolve uh, inflation or banking uh, pressures. Or Dana, I've heard that they're going to fire the Bank of Canada, but they've not given any solution. If you can Dan listen Albus. to any of them, there's been no solution offered. Dan Albus, running out of time. Quick response from you. So the governor of the Bank of Canada came to committee and said that the carbon tax is inflationary and said that if and sent a letter to us saying that if they had taken away the carbon tax last year, we would have seen 0.5 less a percent of inflation. So that would have clipped half a percentage off inflation Canadians are having right away. But look, the GST gets added on a tax on tax. So you're paying it provincially on the carbon tax and you're paying it on gas taxes. And then the GST compounds that we're actually saying reduce that. Uh, And you know what? We're the ones who are offering these solutions. But as you can probably hear, Mike, Randeep and his caucus and his prime minister will not listen. They don't understand. They only have one function, and that is to spend more out of every single problem. You can't do that with inflation. Okay, Randy, I know you want to respond to that, but we're out of time. I want to thank both of you, though, for being here. Randy Sarai, Liberal MP, Surrey Centre. Dan Albus, Conservative MP, Central Okanagan. Okay, welcome back to the show. Here we go with our oil sands debate on the show today. Sebastian Vettel, the Formula One race car driver, really putting this in the spotlight on the weekend at the Canadian Grand Prix race in Montreal. He's a former four-time world champion in F1, and he arrived at the racetrack in Montreal riding a bicycle and wearing a T-shirt that had a picture of a pipeline on the shirt, and it said, Stop Mining Tar Sands, Canada's Climate Crime. He also competed in the race on Sunday wearing a special helmet, with a similar message on it accusing Canada of climate crime. 
All right. There's been a lot of criticism directed at him as well. I mean, the obvious is that he races in a race car circuit that burns a lot of fossil fuels. One of his primary sponsors on the F1 circuit is Aramco, which is one of the world's largest oil producers. Have a listen to this. Now, we got a great panel standing by on this. Have a listen to this report from Global News. You'll hear Sebastian Vettel here commenting on the oil sands. Have a listen. His helmet also reads, Stop Mining Tar Sands. Also on the German driver's helmet, the logo for one of his sponsors, Saudi Aramco, an oil company that has been the single largest contributor to global carbon emissions. What happens in Alberta is uh, a crime. I think, um, you know, as I said, there's so much science around the topic that fossil fuels are going to end and living in a time that we do now, um, these things shouldn't be allowed anymore and they shouldn't happen. Okay, Sebastian Vettel there, the race car driver at the Canadian Grand Prix on the weekend. Let's discuss it now with our panel. we got both sides of it for you. Cody Battershill is the founder of Canada Action. It's an advocacy group, supports oil and gas production in Alberta. Hey, Cody. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on again. Peter McCartney is a climate change campaigner with the Wilderness Committee, and I'm very pleased to welcome Peter back as well. Hi, Peter. Thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, guys, thank you to both of you for coming on. Peter McCartney, let me go to you first. Sebastian Vettel, the F1 race car driver, uh, very outspoken on the weekend at the Canadian Grand Prix on Alberta oil production. Do you agree with his stand? Absolutely, I agree with his stand. I mean, I think um, the tar sands are the single largest polluting industry. The oil and gas industry creates more pollution than all transportation in all of Canada. And this is our climate crime. Um, You know, maybe he's not the best poster child for for this issue, but the message is louder and clearer than ever that we need to stop the carbon pollution that is coming from the tar sands that is causing the climate disasters that we are seeing in Canada and all over the world. Do you think that a guy like Sebastian Vettel, who's a, a, a race car driver, when he speaks out like this, do you think he helps the cause or do you think he sets it back? Because a lot of people are pointing a finger at him saying, wait a sec, you drive around in a, in a race car that burns tons of fossil fuel. So you're a hypocrite. But what do you, do you think he helps the cause? I do think he helps the cause. You know, I'm here talking to you today, um, because of what he did and it forces the yeah. issue. Um, and you know, the, the solution to climate change isn't that everybody who works in a job that relies on fuel, fossil fuels quits their job. It's that we advocate for collective action to uh, to reduce our uh, fossil fuel use and and wind down this industry in a way that supports the workers and communities who rely on it. Okay, Cody Battershill, your thoughts? I think it's funny that Peter doesn't want uh, Sebastian to quit the F1. I mean, Sebastian said he loves racing. That's just why he knows and he's admitted he's a hypocrite. But look, he's sponsored by Saudi Aramco. And the reality is, all these anti-pipeline, anti-Canadian oil and gas activities in the last decade, and Sebastian Vettel's comments, the hypocrisy and the reality is that it's only helped other producers. We know right now energy security, protecting the environment go hand in hand, and Canada is a leader. You cannot talk about Canada and the climate without talking about how we have been leading in renewable, in responsible oil and gas development, Indigenous partnerships, reducing emissions, collaborating to get to net zero, carbon capture, and so many other ways. Uh, It's ridiculous rhetoric that is not rooted in fact or reality, and it only helps his sponsor, Aramco, which is the same for all of these pipeline protests in Canada. What do you say, Peter, what do you say to that? 
So the difference between Canada's oil and Saudi's oil and Saudi Arabia's oil is that Saudi Arabia just has to stick a pipe in the ground and oil comes out. Whereas we actually have to boil oil out of sand, and that makes us have one of the most carbon-intensive oils in the world. And so talking as if, you know, if we have any sort of responsibly produced product here in Canada is just not uh, acknowledging the facts about what is contributing to climate change, which is the carbon pollution. And our oil is some of the worst in the world. It's the first that has to go. Cody? I'm, I'm shocked but not shocked to hear Peter defend and praise Saudi Arabia. The reality is there are several other countries with higher emissions. That is Stanford and California uh, studies done since 2014. Uh, these groups, Peter's group, Peter himself, you know, never blocked Saudi Arabian oil tankers coming to Canada and coming to California, coming to Europe. The reality is the climate is global. We have been reducing emissions. We're a leader in reducing emissions. We are also a leader in wind and solar and hydro, but we're going to need all energy sources for decades to come. That's pragmatic. That's reality. And Canadian resources like oil and gas supports Canadian families, period, full stop. I'm behind that every day of the week, as opposed to a multimillionaire F1 driver and all these groups who continue to ignore the Alaskan oil tankers on the West Coast, the Saudi oil tankers on the East Coast. They have only hurt the global environment by getting less regulated, less transparent, less climate-friendly oil and gas uh, uh, around the world that doesn't have to compete with Canada. It is absolutely ridiculous. Peter McCartney, your response to that? It is simply not true that the Canadian oil and gas industry has reduced emissions. Emissions have continued to go up along with production. And that needs to change in order for us to have a safe climate on this planet uh, for the next decades to come. And so, you know, Canada's oil has to be reduced. Every other country in the world has to reduce their oil production. And in here in Canada, we can focus on the oil that uh, we are producing. We are the fifth largest producer of fossil fuels on the planet, the very fossil fuels that are causing climate change. They're destroying communities and that are killing people here in this province and around the world. And so, you know, when we figured out that asbestos was actually causing harm to people, we stopped producing asbestos. And we need to do the same with oil. We need to take the moral position here, which is to not continue to produce a product that we know endangers life on this planet as we know it. We're, we're debating oil and gas production in Canada. My guests, my guests are Cody Battershill. He's from Canada Action. It's a pro-oil and gas advocacy group. Peter McCartney from the Wilderness Committee. He's a climate change campaigner there. And Sebastian Vettel, her, his comments at the Formula One race on the weekend in Montreal. He's an F1 driver, former champ, who wore a helmet in the race, criticizing Canada's uh, oil and gas industry, especially in, in Alberta. Hey, Cody, when you hear Peter talk about the, the the production methods that are required to extract the oil from Alberta and the carbon intensity there, how do you respond to that? Because it's, it's certainly difficult to deny that... Uh, the carbon intensity that's required to get that oil out of the ground in the oil sands in Alberta creates a lot more pollution, doesn't it? Over the last 20 years, emissions intensity per barrel has decreased by 44%. That's since 1995. Uh, Oil sands mining specifically is less than 20% of reserves, less than 50% of production. 
the oil and gas industry, I support research and development. I support innovation, collaboration, and local prosperity. So I'm proud to support the Canadian oil sands mining industry, which is collaborating and investing nine more than $9 billion in research and development since 2009, yeah. higher than other global producers on a per barrel basis, to continue to tackle the environmental challenges. Let's talk reality. Every single thing human beings do on this planet has an environmental impact. In the oil sands, every acre of land disturbed must be reclaimed. Are we going to reclaim our cities? Are we going to reclaim our farmland? Everything we do has an impact. We cannot shut down Canadian oil and gas. All it simply does is help other producers. We need to be pragmatic and be inclusive, supporting all energy. Sebastian and Peter uh, are not adding to that balanced conversation at all. Peter, Peter McCartney, what do you say to that? Oh, the reclamation argument is just hilarious to me because they have reclaimed, you know, about a tea towel on a football field uh, worth Mm -hmm. of the tar sands. They are an absolute stain on this country. They will be there for the taxpayers to clean up when all of these oil and gas companies fail because the world doesn't want their products anymore. Um, And so, you know, to, to talk about the tar sands as if they are anything other than uh, the most polluting project that this company or this, this country has ever undertaken um, yeah. is just laughable, and it's, it's PR spin that uh, people are not buying anymore. Okay, Cody, I know you want to respond to that. Let me fit in a quick break here first, though, as we must do, and then we will come back with more. My guests are Cody Battershill, Canada Action. It's a pro-oil and gas group in Alberta. Peter McCartney, climate campaigner with the Wilderness Committee. Take a break, come back. Open the phone lines on this one, too. Which side are you on on this one? Sebastian Vettel, the F1 race car driver at the Canadian Grand Prix, slamming the Alberta oil sands on a T-shirt on his helmet during the race. He accuses Canada of a climate climate change crime. Do you agree with him? Perhaps that helmet is a little too tight and it's constricting circulation to the part of the brain that detects hypocrisy because that's what our friend sebastian is he's a high carbon hypocrite that's uh pierre polyev the conservative mp course running for the conservative leadership going after sebastian (laughs) sebastian vettel the f1 driver there yeah he's got a lot of people uh in the conservative ranks just hopping mad here with his stand at the canadian grand prix on the weekend we're talking about it with my guest cody battershill peter mccartney Tons of phone calls. James in White Rock. Hi, James. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I think the first thing, being in Alberta, me taking any kind of moral standing from a race car driver isn't going to happen. And if he was so high and mighty, why did he race the race and why didn't he boycott it? And has he said anything about any other oil companies around the world except for Alberta? And if he hasn't, who paid him to do it? Because these guys well, don't do anything for free. Well, you know, he's got a giant oil company as one of his main sponsors. I don't know if he's ever criticized uh, criticized them. Peter, do you know? I mean, what what do you say to you know? Obviously, the guy's taking a lot of heat for being a, 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 a hypocrite on the file. But what do you can you say anything to defend him, Peter McCartney? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, he doesn't get to choose his sponsors. I think it would be a, a moral stand for him to say, I'm not driving under the Aramco banner. Um, I think if you want to talk about oil company sponsorships, uh, we can certainly talk about how oil companies sponsor just about every university, every um, you know sports team in Canada. But sure. yeah. um, but what we should what we should be talking about is uh, 
you know, his message that Canada is committing a climate crime here is uh, one that rings true. It's uh, it's a simple uh, reality. It's physics that we cannot continue to pump carbon pollution into the atmosphere while at the same time, um, you know, getting these uh, climate disasters. Okay accelerating all the time so cody um, cody quick cody quicker hey cody quick response we fit some more calls in here go ahead yeah i mean if we need to talk about morality we don't follow peter and sebastian by supporting aramco the oil and gas and resource sector in canada is a massive contributor to our communities supporting our social programs a half trillion dollars to government since the year 2000 and over the last 10 years while peter's been against every pipeline project global oil demand has increased more than 10 million barrels per day and it's still growing I support Canada, where we're focused on reducing emissions, and we protect and value human rights, okay. equality, and transparency. Okay, squeeze in some more calls here. Sharon and Burnaby. Hi, Sharon, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry, but it seems to me that this all-or-nothing approach is not going to work either. Um, I support Canada, too, and I think that we always getting a bad rap. And look what's going to happen in Europe here as Russia shuts off its oil and gas production to the EU. I just saw a headline this morning say the EU is now looking at replacing that with coal. So as far as I'm concerned, that's going way back, and that's because it's been cut off completely. We can't cut it off completely. We continue to work to make it cleaner, more environmentally friendly, and supportive of Canada and the Canadian Okay, Peter, what do you say? Thank you for the call. Peter, what do you say to her? You know, we get a bad rap because we're a bad actor. Um, You know, we are the fifth largest producer of the product that is driving storms and wildfires and droughts all over the world. And listen, this is just uh, a a matter of fact that we cannot continue to do this. And as uh, electric car... um, demand grows around the world you know they're they're displacing oil uh, and okay. we are going to continue to uh to see uh oil demand uh peak and and go down for decades to come and so squeeze another you know squeeze another call and brian and coquitlam brian go ahead i got two points why it's a supply and demand issue as long as people demand oil we need it if you watch save the world make it so people don't demand oil change our cities change how we work and so like that second we need oil for the roads for the electric cars to drive on so i mean and all the other products that we have so oil demand is not going to change why are we going to fund terrorist groups and people that beat gays and women and so like that when we can do it here it might not be more environmentally friendly but definitely better uh, on all other fronts Squeeze in one more call. Paul and Burnaby. Paul, you got 30 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, we go back to demand and supply. And that lady's right. Germany is a basket case, thanks to knuckleheads like Peter. And they Okay, no, I'm, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going I'm to stop you there because, okay. you know, I'm just not going to tolerate, no, you know. No, 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 you're yeah. done. You're done. You're, you're, you're finished because I'm just not going to tolerate the, you know, insults and, and stuff like that. I want to thank both of you for being here. Cody Battershill from Canada Action. Thank you, Cody. Peter McCartney, climate campaigner for the Wilderness Committee. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the federal government's plan here now to tame inflation. Inflation running at 30-year highs right now. 6.8% is the annual inflation rate. Could go even higher. Everyone is feeling the pinch here. Groceries, rent, gasoline, 
Everything is going up, up, up. The plan outlined last week by Federal Finance Minister Christian Freeland now. $8.9 billion in government spending and relief measures to help Canadians feeling the pain of inflation right now. It includes boosting the Canada workers' benefit, increasing old-age security payments, there's a housing affordability payment in there, dental care, child care, a lot in there. A lot of it had already been announced in previous budgets. Here is Christian Freeland uh, making that announcement last week. Immigration, housing, skills, and child care are quite clearly social policies. But they're economic policies too. This set of measures will help drive our continued economic growth in a way that fights inflation. Okay, Finance Minister Christia Freeland speaking last week on her inflation plan. Will this work? Will it help? There's a huge debate over this right now especially from the opposition conservatives. We discussed this earlier in the show. And critics who say that excessive government spending is the problem, not the solution here. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Tom Davidoff, Director, UBC Centre for Urban Economics and Real Estate. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Tom, thanks a lot for coming on today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, what are your thoughts on the plan that was outlined by the federal finance minister the other day to fight inflation? Is she going in the right direction, in your in your opinion? Well, as you mentioned, a lot of what she discussed was in prior budgets. And as somebody, I think, at the Globe and Mail uh, put in an editorial, uh, that's probably the right thing to do. Uh, you know, you, you could go with deflationary, recession-inducing fiscal policy, on top of what the bank is doing, uh, or you could add more stimulus to subtract from what the bank is doing. But, you know, with, with inflation rising, as opposed to, you know, getting to, you know, zero interest rates, I think monetary policy is probably uh, the main uh, tool to fight inflation. So I think the government's sort of standing mostly pat with some assistance to, to the most needy is probably the right approach. Yeah, do you think this will make uh, a difference for most people, though? I mean, Tom, you're an expert on real estate and housing prices here in British Columbia. And, man, the price of housing in our province, especially in Metro Vancouver, continues to be outside the realm of affordability for most people. I mean, I don't see how this is going to help those people in any way. Your thoughts? Well, there's a housing allowance for, for, for uh, some group of, of low-income uh, households who, who really need the help, right? I mean, renting is what's really tough and likely to get tougher, so I think that, that was appropriate. Um, but yeah, you know, housing, I think, no question, is, is likely to get worse. Uh, yeah. Higher interest rates means higher mortgage payments for people looking to get in and people renewing mortgages. Uh, probably less is going to get built uh, in the next few years than would have otherwise. Uh, and so we'll probably continue to see rent escalation. Uh, how about the price of gas and whether the government could help Canadians there by cutting gas taxes? We had a debate earlier on the show today, a Liberal MP versus a Conservative MP, and the Conservatives, of course, cu- calling for a cut in the carbon tax or other federal gas taxes to help Canadians. That's not happening. You know, the carbon, price, carbon taxes are going up federally, provincially. Your thoughts? Well, you know, as an economist uh, and somebody who cares about the environment, I think a, uh, a carbon tax is, is a very good tax. Uh, it gets 
you know, it's revenue for the government, which means lower taxes somewhere else or more ability to give away money to, to people in need. And it discourages people from driving. I mean, you know, inflation is tough. And I am sure there are households who are certainly struggling with gas prices. Uh, but if you want to help people in need, I think assistance to the lowest income households is appropriate, not uh, a relative subsidy to encourage people to drive more, especially, yeah. you know, when we've got, you know, the sort of finite gas problem. Uh, you're sort of pushing prices higher to some extent when you give uh, a reduction in tax. What do you think about the conservatives and their attacks on some of the policies of the Bank of Canada here. I mean, notably, Pierre Polyev, the conservative MP, a lot of people think he's going to be the next conservative leader. And his criticism of the Bank of Canada over quantitative easing to help Canadians through this. Do you think that in any way is responsible for fueling inflation here in Canada? Yeah, I think central banks around the world, and I think most of inflation relates to global factors beyond Canada's uh, influence. But I'm sure if uh, monetary policy had been tighter, if there'd been less quantitative easing uh, during the COVID uh, period, we'd probably be in a better shape for inflation now. But, uh, you know, the worry then was a recession, right? I mean, you know, it's yeah. almost miraculous that we got through a really lousy shutdown period uh, with uh, as little damage as we did. I don't know that the damage from the war in Ukraine was foreseeable. You know, I think we sort of, I think, I think central banks generally made decent decisions, you know, when, when they made their decisions, but events and maybe a bit of luck have worked against them. So, you know, I, it's not crazy to look backwards and criticize. I do think, you know, politicians probably shouldn't be, you know, bad-mouthing central bank heads and talking about Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's not totally crazy to look backwards and second-guess. Speaking of Tom Davidoff from UBC, okay, speaking of that, let's listen to a couple of clips here. And it was interesting to hear Christian Freeland in part of her keynote speech last week on inflation, I think clearly targeting Pierre Polyev, not mentioning him by name, but I think quite unmistakably criticizing him over his criticism of the Bank of Canada, his promise to fire Tiff Macklem, the governor of the Bank of Canada. So let's listen to a couple of exchanges here on this, and I'll get your thoughts. Now, here is Polyev running for the Conservative Party leadership, here he is saying that, hey, if he becomes prime minister, the governor of the Bank of Canada, he's out of here. Have a listen to this. Well, it's hard to say how high it will be when I take office. But there's no question that we have to hold those accountable who have caused it. Um, you know, money printing, government uh, deficits have caused more dollars chasing fewer goods driving higher prices. And the Bank of Canada governor <clears throat> has allowed himself to become the ATM machine of this government. And so I would replace him with a new governor who would reinstate our low inflation mandate, protect the purchasing power of our dollar, and honor the working people who earn those dollars. Okay, Pierre Polyev there campaigning for the federal conservative leadership, saying that he would replace the governor of the Bank of Canada. Now have a listen to the federal finance minister, Christia Freeland, and her speech in Toronto last week, turning the tables, going after Polyev. Have a listen to this. At this time, of global economic and political volatility, undermining Canada's fundamental institutions, very much including the Bank of Canada, is highly irresponsible. 
not to mention economically illiterate. Okay, irresponsible and economically illiterate. The federal finance minister not holding back there against Polyev. Tom Davidoff, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, my instinct is, uh, you know, the federal government has, has influence over the mandate for the bank. And, and, you know, whether it's entirely inflation targeting or whether you also care about uh, unemployment and other macro considerations. Uh, within that, I think generally politicizing what the bank does is not great. You know, you don't want to say, hey, I'm going to appoint my guy. Uh, but, you know, absolutely, Polyev is not out of bounds to say, you know, inflation is more important than targeting, uh, say, unemployment, or I think the bank got it wrong and could have had unemployment managed without being as generous uh, on monetary, you know, financial markets behavior as they were uh, during the downturn. So, you know, it, I, I think, you know, general mandate stuff, attacking individuals, you do want to be careful because I think independence from politics as Freeland says, is, is important uh, for credibility, which is just just very important, right? Because, you know, it, people have to believe the, intre- the interest rate is on a path, not just at its level today. Yeah. And, you know, run, you know, doing the bidding of politicians at a micro level, just not, not, I think, what the bank ought to be doing. This is such a weird time we're going through right now. It's such a, a strange economy with inflation running rampant. We've got full employment going at the same time you've got these leading politicians questioning whether the the governor of the the central bank should be sacked it's all very strange what do you think could be coming next here i mean there's a lot of fears about a recession do you think that's where we're heading in canada i i don't know better than the markets obviously if you look at what's happened to stock prices recently uh you know people are less happy about where uh, asset values uh, are than they were uh, you know a couple of months ago which to me indicates there's some risk in investors minds not only of a bad couple of quarters but maybe some corporate bankruptcies uh you know people don't seem to think super high interest rates are going to be around forever i don't think that's enough the issue of higher interest rates to justify uh, where the stock market is so you know, I certainly think there's risk of a recession. You, you already hear, I mean, I, I try to pay attention to housing markets. People talk about bailing on projects because yeah. the cost of investing is, is too large uh, relative to the rents they can receive. And, yeah, and, you know, I've certainly heard that happening in tech as well. So, you know, when rates go up, deals have to be pretty good to be worthwhile. And so I think people do fewer deals and there's less employment. That, that's pretty likely now. Uh, we're at full employment, so, you know, and sort of full employment plus, which has been, you know, really cooking the economy. So uh, someone pointed out, you know, recently, you know, as long as you sort of cut back in the range of full employment, uh, you know, so we're still at full employment, just less crazy need to do projects. That's not the end of the world. Uh, but of course, you can overshoot and get into recession and, you know, listening uh, to Powell last week in the U.S., they're very aware of that risk, and you know they want to have a soft landing, but but they're aware that things could get uh, pretty difficult in the economy. Yeah, speaking of that real estate market, which you follow very closely, we see the number of home sales stagnating or going down or slowing down, but we don't see the prices falling uh, at the same rate. The prices seem to be very sticky. Do you see any scenario where home price home prices come down in any in any significant fashion? I mean, if you think about where house prices have gone between two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and today, uh, 
uh, a lot of that, you have to think, was interest rates. Sure, GDP is higher. Yep, there's higher population. But the price level, you have to think the super low interest rates we had uh, were part of that. And they're gone because we're back, I think, above 2009 interest rates. You know, these aren't crazy uh, rate levels we're seeing today historically, uh, you know, even kind of lowish. But but they're they're much uh, above where we were. And, you know, if you think in terms of percentages, uh, mortgage rates are, you know, double or triple what they were for a five year fixed. So, uh, you know, is there a scenario in which 2009 interest rates make us move back a few years in terms of price appreciation? Absolutely. You know, I don't I don't want to promise a price reduction, though, because it's 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 a matter of uncertainty and we don't know uh, where the macro economy is heading. Thanks for coming on with your thoughts today. Appreciate it. Well, my total pleasure. Thank you. All right. Tom Davidoff there from UBC talking about inflation, the federal government's plan to respond to it. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk electric scooters now. E-scooters. Those stand-up kick scooters, they run on an electric engine. These things can go pretty fast, too. I was driving through Burnaby yesterday, saw a guy on one of the e-scooters flying down the sidewalk at a very, very fast clip. Totally against the law. They're not allowed to be ridden on the sidewalk, especially in the city of Burnaby. Now, some other municipalities around Metro Vancouver have brought in a pilot project to allow these e-scooters on side streets and bike lanes, but certainly you're not allowed to drive them down the sidewalk, although you continue to see this happening. Electric scooters, they're getting more and more popular. I think a lot of people have seen them around, especially with gas prices the way they are right now. Why not? Why wouldn't people uh, take a look at these e-scooters? But now, police reporting they are receiving more complaints about e-scooters, more conflicts between riders of electric scooters and pedestrians. Got some great guests standing by on this. First, have a listen to this report now from Inside Edition. They fly down the street at speeds sometimes in excess of 50 miles per hour. They run red lights and can be a source of chaos on crowded city streets. Whoa! We saw scooters blowing through red lights. You just ran right through a red light. What? You just went right through a red light. That's fine. You have the electric bikes, you have scooters, and they're going on the sidewalks now. You're not supposed to be on the sidewalk. Okay, not everyone's breaking the rules, but obviously I think some people are. Let's check in with Sergeant Steve Addison now from the Vancouver Police Department. Very pleased to welcome him back. Steve, thank you for coming on today. No problem, Meg. Are you receiving more complaints from the public about these e-scooters? Yeah, uh, not quite as dramatic as your inside edition clip there, but <laughs> um, yeah, we're part of a pilot project, a province-wide, not a province-wide pilot project, but we're one of eight municipalities in the province that's been chosen for a, an e-scooter pilot project. Um, other, other cities are Nanaimo, the North Shore, um, Vernon, Kelowna, um, yeah. and we get it. There's a lot of people uh, looking for cheap, affordable, fun ways to move around the city, you know, to fill up your F-150. It's costing you over 250 right now for a tank of gas so there are more people out there as the weather gets better uh if the weather ever gets better uh, we're going to see more people out on the uh out on the streets um uh using 
these things to move around. And um, the, yeah, they do tend to lead to um, uh, some conflicts, and we try to mitigate those conflicts um, as as they arise. Uh, there are rules that are associated with these. You're not allowed to take them on the seawall. You gotta uh, not on sidewalks, as you said. You're not allowed to have yeah. them on major streets. Um, and and our job is just to make to make sure that everybody can move around this busy city and get to point A from point A to B without uh, um, injury and without major conflicts. Do the Van- does the Vancouver Police Department have the power to issue a, a ticket or a fine for someone who's breaking the rules? Yeah, we do, and we can, um, and we have in some circumstances. Um, we find that um, um, uh, when there are people who are breaking the rules, um, um, simply stopping them, being reasonable, having a conversation with them, educating them, um, because a lot of people don't know what the rules are, educating them about the rules really goes a long way. Certainly if there's cases where people are being reckless, um, egregious, disrespectful to people, uh, we we can and we will issue fines. Like, you got to wear a helmet with these things. you got to have a bike light. you got to obey the rules of the road. Um, you got to be over 16. You're not supposed to go above 24 kilometers an hour. Those are all things that we can issue tickets for, uh, either uh, under the Motor Vehicle Act or under city bylaws if we need to. We always prefer to take more of an educational and an informative uh, approach before we have to do that. Okay, I've read that the bylaw fine here for a penalty for riding on the sidewalk, for example, is $100. Is that correct? Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. 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 Okay. How many of those tickets have you written up? I don't know. Um, the va- and I, w- I would suggest uh, not a ton. Um, yeah. We, As I say, we get Lots of people are trying, whether it's on an e-scooter or a bike or a skateboard or uh, any number of, you know, these new ways that people are are, are trying to move around uh, an increasingly busy, busy city when gas is so expensive. Um, it, it does it does create some conflicts, um, but we find if we just stop people, talk to them reasonably, educate them, we can we can deal with most of those conflicts and correct most of that behavior without having to start writing tickets and issuing fines. But certainly, uh, we can do that um, if we need to, and we have done it in some circumstances. Steve, thanks for coming on today to talk about it. You bet, Mike. I appreciate it. That is Steve Addison, spokesperson for the Vancouver Police Department. Let's check in with Bradley Spence now. He's the owner of EV's shop in Vancouver. It's one of the leading retailers in the city for electric kick scooters. Very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, Bradley, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me again, Mike. Okay, Bradley, when you hear these reports about people who are riding e-scooters and breaking the rules, what goes through your mind? Yeah, I'm, I'm always, uh, I mean, I'm not surprised because there's, like we used to talk about in the past, there's bad apples with drivers and cyclists and cars drive through red lights all the time. But um, one thing we do at our store is every time someone buys one, we really try to educate them on not riding on the sidewalk. And if any of my staff or, or my partners see anyone riding on the sidewalk while we're out and about, we will stop and educate them not to. And because well, the biggest reason is we really want the public to warm up to these things and that people are continually riding the sidewalks and annoying pedestrians and making pedestrians feel unsafe. Um, That's exactly what we don't want to happen. So during this pilot program, we want people to be as respectful as possible. Do you think that most riders are following the rules? I mean, we just heard from the Vancouver Police Department that they're receiving an increasing number of complaints. They've written a few tickets. But do you think that by and large, most people do know the rules and do follow the rules? Yeah, I would say, if I were to guess, 95% of the people are following the rules. 
It's um, fiber some that aren't, and it seems to be the ones that are riding on the sidewalk seem to be food delivery riders. So, wow. uh, and a lot of those people are our customers. So we're really trying every time we have a food delivery person buying a scooter to deliver Uber Eats and all those companies, we tell them do not ride on the sidewalk. It is we want these things to stay legalized, um, and we don't want to happen. What's in Toronto? They're banning them. Um, and you can't stop this micro mobility movement. It's here. It's here to stay. And cities are going to need to adapt um, to to have more space and to have more rules uh, around these things. How popular are the e-scooters right now? Are you selling a lot of them? Incredibly popular. Our, our toughest job right now is keeping them in stock, and um, it, it's been soaring beyond our imagination. Um, we're just keeping the inventory flowing through to keep up the demand, but it's there's so many of these things being purchased every single day that uh, it's definitely here to stay. Yeah, how much do they cost? Um, ours start at four ninety nine and then go all the way up to fifty two hundred dollars. Um, but those fifty two hundred dollars wow. ones are more um, off road scooters, not really meant to be ridden on the street. Okay, four ninety nine is a pretty attractive price for someone who's looking to beat the gas pump right now. So, like, if you bought that entry level model of an e scooter, Bradley, like, what would you get for your five hundred bucks there? What kind of scooter would you get? Like, how long is the battery life? How fast do they go? Yeah, it goes um, up to 25 kilometers an hour. It gets about 25 kilometers of range, give or take five kilometers, depending on your weight and your, your riding style. Um, but in order to get a water-resistant scooter, something that you would use to commute rain or shine, that you're looking at a scooter starting at $1,200. Okay. Oh, okay. And the rules are, and we heard Sergeant Addison go through some of those, but there is an age limit, correct? Yeah, 16 or older, I believe. Yeah, 16 or older. you got to wear a helmet, right? Yeah, that's correct. Right. And how fast do they go? Does that depend on the model? Yeah, so the scooters can range in speeds um, significantly, but you're supposed to not go past 24 kilometers an hour on the city streets. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned that when you or members of your staff are around town and you see someone breaking the rules, like let's say riding on the sidewalk, you will take action. So you will actually stop and talk to people, right? Like, what kind of reaction? Every time. Do, okay, and what kind of reaction do you get? Like when when you call somebody out and say, "Hey, you're not supposed to be riding on the sidewalk, dude." Like, what kind of response do you get? People get angry with you, or do sometimes they don't know the rules? Like, what is the response yeah, typically? It, it seems to be most people play dumb and they act like they didn't know that they weren't supposed to ride on the sidewalk. Um, but I know for a fact there's Uber delivery people. They just find it more efficient to ride on the sidewalk and get more deliveries in. So. I, as much as we tell them not to ride on the sidewalk, they are, seem to be the only ones that aren't really listening. Uh, I think for the mm. grand majority of people riding on the sidewalk, um, they're not, they're just, for people just using to commute to work every day, a lot of them are not riding on the sidewalk. It seems to be mostly these food delivery riders. And the places that you are legally allowed to ride them, if you're in one of these municipalities, is you can ride on a side street, like not down a main road, and a bike lane. They're allowed in the bike lanes, correct? Yeah, I believe the rule, right. the official rule is uh, it can't be on a road uh, that has a posted speed limit of 70 kilometers an hour or higher. So the posted speed limit is below 70. You can ride on that uh, road as long as you're on the side of the road, just like a cyclist would. Okay. Okay. Bradley, please stand by here as we fit in a quick break, and then we will come back. Let's open the phone lines on this one. So phone me now. If you own an e-scooter i would love to hear from you phone me and tell me what they're like if you're enjoying them if if you think it's been a good purchase for you i'd love to hear from a user of an e-scooter phone me on the open line it's paul and surrey hi paul what do you think go ahead 
Yeah, I'd like to say, you know, any time you can get away from the gas pump, uh, but also more importantly, getting away from ICBC, it's a good thing. I would say watch out for ICBC because they're trying to get their claws into this mobility movement and declare these things an official vehicle. I had mine stolen and I just bought a, simply bought a new one. Okay, so you, you dig them, right? You're, you're liking saving money on gas and you don't have to pay for insurance, right? Yeah, like I said, you know, it got stolen from my front yard because I live in a kind of a weird area, but I just went and bought another one and didn't think yeah. twice. Okay, Paul, thank you for that. Is that correct, Bradley? You don't need ICBC to ride one, right? No, not at this time. <laughs> not at this time. Do you agree with him that maybe maybe it will, it will be required in the future, do you think? It, it could be. I feel like it'd be a hard thing yeah. to manage because there's so many scooter models out there, and I... I just can't see how they would do it, but um, it could uh, be something in the future. Yeah, that's an interesting one, John and Burnaby. Hey, John, what do you think? Hey, guys, I, I think first thing, we, the speeds needs needs to be lower. These these things are just flying around town. I almost got smoked a couple of weeks ago, and the city needs to kind of have some better rules. I know on some one way streets, e bikes and scooters are are allowed to go on both ways, so it just makes it really really dangerous for pedestrians. Okay, thank you for that, Bradley. What is the speed limit where this, where this, where the e-scooters are allowed? How fast are you allowed to ride them? The bylaw is twenty-four kilometers an hour. Right, right, twenty-four kilometers an hour. But they can obviously go much faster than that. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, a, a lot of them, you don't want to limit them at twenty-four kilometers an hour because there might be a situation where you need to speed out of the way when someone is like a car is maybe not seeing you. They're taking a right turn, and you need to get out of the way quick. So it's important yeah. to have enough power to get out of the way, but it's also important not to be speeding to the point where you're going to be hurting or harming pedestrians or, more importantly, yourself. We, we see actually a lot more people. I've never heard of a, a pedestrian getting hit yet, but I've heard of a lot of scooter riders getting hit by cars, and that's usually because the car didn't see the scooter. And uh, that's another thing we really try to educate to our, our riders. Mike and Delta. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Hey, honestly, this thing has changed my life uh, for, for the better. And, you know, if, if any politicians are listening to this, uh, you know, work out your road rules or insurance, you know, whatnot, uh, you know, work them out. And lastly, um, you know, uh, if you go and see a lot of riders, you know, all, most of these riders are well equipped in terms of, uh, you know, safety gear, in terms of uh, helmets and safety equipment. So I, I think riders are doing a reasonably well, good job in sort of protecting themselves and the public. Yeah. Hey, Mike, when you say it's changed your life for the better, how so? Oh, I, I just think that I'm just more active. You know, instead of getting in a, in a car and driving somewhere, you know, I, I like to, you know, hop on one of these things, uh, you know, enjoy the scenery, uh, you know, enjoy nature, you know, all sorts of things like that. Okay, Mike, thanks for calling in. Natalie on the line in Port Coquitlam. Hi, Natalie, go ahead. Hi. Yeah, I'm just wondering, okay, you know the regular scooters that seniors ride, right? Like what... Like, yeah. are the same rules applied to everyone? And, and um, you know, to me, I've always thought those scooters will look pretty cool to ride in any way. <laughs> so is it the same rules? And uh, why don't you sell those to people, too? Okay. You know, why, are they, uh, why do those regular senior school scooters seem to be just regulated to seniors or relegated to? Hey, Bradley, do you know, like, okay, so those little ride scooters you see senior citizens driving around, like, are, are those the same rules as the kick scooters? Those, those are disability scooters um, yeah. and mobi mobility scooters, so they're allowed to ride on the sidewalk. They also don't go very fast, so right, those things right. go not much faster than uh, uh, walking speed. 
So right. those are technically allowed on sidewalks. Okay, Phil and Coquitlam. Phil, 30 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, hi. Just uh, to the uh, EV scooter uh, uh, gentleman, do you know how many r- rules there are, regulations? What are the? How, are there a lot of rules and regulations, Bradley? Thirty seconds left here. My, my, my question is: Why don't the? Why don't these guys when they sell these EV scooters? Why don't they put all the rules and regulations, like you said, by, like bylaws, on a sheet of paper that Bradley, goes in 20, an envelope with the scooter? Bradley, twenty seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. We usually do, we educate our customers verbally, but it's pretty simple. Wear a helmet. Sixteen years or older. Don't go faster than twenty-four kilometers an hour, and don't ride in sidewalks. Those Bradley, are pretty thank- much the four rules. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks.